When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. As always, we are hanging with our super producer, Alex Williams. Most importantly, you are here. And apparently, uh, some of us out in the audience are not completely happy drivers or completely happy car owners, I should say. Yeah, completely happy with their car, maybe. Mm -hmm. That's probably the way to put it, right? Yeah. So earlier, you and I did an episode... Um, what was that episode? Oh man, I don't. I don't remember. Was it in the minivan? No, it was in minivans. Um, boy, I can't think of which one it was now, Ben. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the past is a watercolor in the rain, yeah. Scott. Things yeah. blur. But uh, in in a recent episode, uh, we asked you to write in and let us and your fellow listeners know about your uh, the the most hassle you'd ever received from a car you owned. I know what it was now. What was just, it? Just thought of it. Yeah. Uh, it was the uh, uh, McLaren maintenance episode. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah that fits. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with all the troubles that uh, that Bruce Wiener went through with his McLaren, you know, the, uh, the million dollar car, multi-million dollar car now, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and he... Didn't even own it for that long. What was it, two years maybe? <laughs> I thought it was just over a year. Yeah. Just over a year, yeah. something like that. It became very, very expensive. If you haven't listened to that episode, uh, that is a real eye opener, uh, for exotic car maintenance, exactly what it costs. We've, you know, kind of toyed around with the idea of, of exotic car ownership here. Not, not that we, we can afford an exotic, but, you know, those temptation uh, you know, um, moments where you go into the used car lot and you see, you know, the, uh, the reasonably priced Rolls Royce or the, uh, the uh -huh. Dodge Viper that's surprisingly affordable now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for the first gens. And, and then I guess maybe when you dig into what it really costs to own that thing, uh, you know, it's not just the cost of ownership, not just the cost. It is the cost of ownership. It's not the, the initial purchase price. Right. It's the maintenance that gets you. Yeah. The upkeep. And in the case of McLaren, for brief spoiler, the manufacturer is pretty strict uh, regarding service uh and and regarding you know consumables yeah to maintain and, the, the mclaren plan or whatever it is that they have right and so when we asked about hassle cars we got some excellent emails and we also started uh scott and i looking into hassle cars just stories of hassle cars 
around the world. And uh, additionally, I thought this would be a good episode for us to look into lemon laws a little bit. So we're going to look at some terrible hassle car stories uh, <laughs> that are the admittedly are kind of hilarious. Yeah. We've got a couple from listeners too. Yeah. That we're and then, go over. yeah. And then, uh, most importantly, we will, uh, help you, uh, learn what you can do about it. If you accidentally bought a lemon. Yeah. yeah. Or what you cannot do. Cause it, it varies. <laughs> it gets complicated. Well, sure. Yeah. 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 You know, before we, uh, dive too uh, deeply into this, um, I've got an answer to a question that we had from a previous episode as well. Oh, now, this yeah. Goes, this goes back to, I believe, our minivan episode. I, I think it was the minivans. Yeah, yeah. And the big question was, I, I remember because Scott told me this off air or told me the setup. The The big question uh, that we asked in that episode was, is it ever okay to double park a vehicle? And if so, when? Yeah. Now, we, we got a lot of email about that one, we, too. We did. We got some responses. Some were angry. You know, some were, uh, you know, never, ever, Ooh. ever yeah. double park in a spot. It just makes you, you know, be a jerk. And then it, mm. it screws everything up for the rest of the uh, the parking lot. You know, you have to park in the half spot next to it yeah, um, and good, so on and so on. Our good buddy Aaron Cooper was actually one of the uh, more militant <laughs> respond, responders. Yeah, that's right. He's very angry with this. Yeah. But, uh, so he said there's never a good a, a good time to do that. And a lot of people agreed. A lot of people said the exact same thing. And uh, if just cast your mind back to hear what we were talking about specifically, it was somebody in our office drives a Ferrari 458 mm-hmm. and they park on the top level of the deck. So it's, it's up where uh, it's not always it's not always full, but right. it had uh, miffed you one day when it was full. And this person in their Ferrari had taken two spots. They parked right in the middle. And the way that our parking lot is set up is that there's columns, you know, yeah. uh, there's these giant cement columns that are every it seems like every 10 feet, I think. Uh, that's ballpark, maybe a little bit farther than that. But anyways, you can get two cars in between one of these columns. So when someone double parks, it takes just those two spots. It doesn't really screw up the rest of the parking lot. Right. There's no domino effect. Uh, you know, it's not like an open parking lane where one person double parking means that everybody to their right or left ends up kind of double parking. Exactly. It's like you, you've got a, a slot with two, where two cars fit with, you know, these, these concrete posts that are immovable, of course. And, uh, so that, that those two spots are occupied and that can be maddening. Uh, but in this case, uh, I gave him a pass because of the type of car it was. And I figured, eh, there's not many people, not many people that park up there anyways. And, uh, and, you know, why the heck not, I guess? You know, it's probably somebody from management of the building, you know, that owns it. We don't know. Could be a resident, maybe. Sure. But it kind of uh, it was bugging us a little bit. You know, like, why is this person parking in two spots? Well, I have an answer. I have a definitive answer. We were, you know, making guesses that, you know, maybe they, they own two cars or something and they didn't have one of them here. So they used the two spots or something. Or maybe somebody, uh, may- maybe they were just there for a second and they had just parked in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I'm going to pass you a photo, Ben, of uh, now this is... Th- this is, I, I want to say it was the day we recorded this episode, but it might have been a day or two later. Um, there is the Ferrari. It's double parked. And you'll notice on the windshield, don't turn that paper over yet. They double parked again? They, they double parked again. But what's on the windshield? Uh, a couple of notes. A ticket. One of them is a ticket from our, our management. Yes. Uh, the orange the orange paper there. And I know our listeners can't see this. Maybe I'll post this on Facebook. Yeah, please do. Please do. But, I'm uh, very curious about this. So there's a big, big note under the, uh, under the wiper 
Like and like a looks like a sheet of stationary paper eight yeah. and a half by eleven next to the ticket, which has an orange stripe on top, and that's from our management. So I couldn't resist. I, I took a photo of the car double parked because we were just talking about this. Oh man! And the and a close up of that. You can go ahead and flip it over and oh, see what it man. says. But here's our answer. I can't wait. This oh. is making my day. <laughs> you would think it would be an irate note from, you know, another resident. You know, somebody who's angry at the uh, at the car owner. That's not it's the case. Not. Oh no. wow! It's this a, is a plot twist. It's, it's a note from the Ferrari owner. Back to the the parking control person, whoever you know put the uh, the the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the ticket on the on the window. They had circled originally. They circled it in uh, uh, on the ticket and says, "I pay for two spaces." Underlined three times. Yeah, yeah. It's, again, they were says, very. Their handwriting is very angry. And uh, and a, in large, you know, all caps letters on this on this piece of paper, it says, "I pay for two parking spots. Call myself if there's an issue." The leasing office has my information on file. I think I think it says on file below the uh, the the blade there. But um, well, well, well. So that's the answer. They pay for two parking spots. They're going to take two parking spots. So okay, uh, you know they're they're doing this for a good reason. Yeah, they, they knew that they didn't want anybody parking next to them in this lot because it's very tight. Mm-hmm. So they paid for two parking spots and they're using two parking spots. And they also have that um, was it? They have a Mercedes that they park. That they parked right next to the Ferrari, remember? Yeah, there is. There's Sometimes that happens. Um, so I think, I, I think that single person probably owns both cars. Well, it could be. There's also a there's also another really expensive car up there that I only see occasionally. It's a Jaguar F-Type. And I'm wondering if uh, that is maybe the same person's vehicle. Because they clearly they have a love for, you know, exotic automobiles. But then why why are you living in this complex i don't know you know, i'm not sure exactly what's going on spot. but they pay for two spots so that's okay. the answer so they're they are legitimate to be parked in that spot so it's their it's essentially their property it is but point. it's too bad this can't be like a permanent note on the car in some way so that people don't just get angry because yeah i feel like it's a, it's a target for you know somebody who's upset right you know, doing well not not a very nice thing but maybe if somebody vandalizes it or something you know does something a little bit mean to them i don't think I hope they wouldn't. I would hope somebody doesn't vandalize a vehicle. I don't think there's anything wrong with leaving a note on the windshield of a vehicle. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's a covered spot, so you can leave a handwritten note like that. But anyways, So they it, pay for two parking spots. Well, there you go. So that's the answer. And uh, so they are uh, legitimately able to park in that spot legally. And let's let's uh, bring this to you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, from our previous podcast, we know a lot of people wrote in responding to this. Uh, what what do you think now if the driver or the owner is paying for two parking spots? Uh, should they they should be able to do that, right? Yeah, Does that, anyone still have a problem with that? Well, but that doesn't fly in a public parking lot. Like when you go to uh, you know the I don't know Best Buy or something, sure, and uh, and you're in the parking lot and you see somebody parked, you know, angled across a couple lines, mm-hmm. uh, so that you know somebody can't park next to them. That's uh, that's not the same case. They're not paying for any parking spots there. They're just taking up two spots. Right. That's and still the same problem. They're not – yeah, that's true. But I I see I, – I can see it being legal. You know, if you pay for two parking spots, then you're paying – you're essentially paying a tax to double park. Sure. Mystery solved. Everything worked out. I still don't mm, – <laughs> I still don't like it. Still don't like it? No. Because there's got, okay, so there aren't designated, I don't want to go too far into this. This has nothing to do with today's episode. Or I guess sort of, because parking your 458 has to be kind of a hassle. It would be. The thing is, if they're paying for two spots, those two spots are not guaranteed to be together, Ah. because this is a parking deck where it's catch as catch can. Well, in this case, I think because they're on the seventh floor, 
because there are often open areas. I mean, there's a, there's, I know I'm, I'm shooting down every idea you have here, but Scott like Benjamin, I, parking law. I'm devil's advocate here, right? But you're uh, a parking attorney. Well, yeah, I feel like I should be arguing this in court. Right? I know. But, uh, but in this case, I think that, you know, if they, they either get here early enough to be able to take the two there together. Objection. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or, or, you know, they just, uh, they're playing the numbers game and that, you know, it's not completely full up there. So, you know, sure. Why not? And also, on a side note, I don't remember if we said this beforehand when we thought this person was being villainous. On a side note, it is a beautiful car. Yeah, very it's nice. Absolutely beautiful. It's um, it's not quite cherry red. It's super well maintained. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Which I think is one of the reasons that people got mad about this. Well, Scott, you are <laughs> on the case. You have done some investigative journalism, my friend, and yeah. you have you have solved. You have solved the mystery of the double parked 458. And if they're paying for two spots, they're, you know, they're paying for two spots. Well, I'm, I'm glad, I, glad I saw that because I was going to yeah. set up a stakeout and everything and, you know, watch the car and see what happened, who owned it. Yeah, for, man. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't have done that. When it's you get creepy. on an investigation, you're like uh, one of those moray <laughs> eels, you know, the things that bite and don't let go. <laughs> like a, a moray eels on the case. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's a joke there, but maybe not. It'll come to us. Yeah, we we shouldn't force it. Maybe. So, hassle cars. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Hassle cars. All right. So, I, I guess we were talking about maintenance. We were talking about um, upkeep. I think most people, when they consider a car that they've had to be a hassle, it's usually a breakdown situation. It's not so much, um, you know, maintenance and stuff like that. I mean, I've had, I've had cars that have been a hassle because of maintenance. You know, they eventually... Um, age into a age to a point where uh you know a lot of things are starting to go wrong with them and and you do have to do a considerable amount more maintenance upkeep with them you know as sure. they get as they age as they get older uh but i've had cars also that in the in the past and we can talk about our own personal cars later in the episode but some that just were a bear right from the beginning i mean mm-hmm. something always mechanically wrong with that vehicle constantly no matter how you know how great your upkeep is of that vehicle, no matter how, you know, on top of the maintenance schedule you are. Right. Something's always going wrong with that car. And even if you have issues that are already covered under warranty, you know, if you buy a certified pre-owned or something, it still is taking time out of your day. Mm-hmm. So it's still a hassle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sure is. And and we've had a couple of listeners that wrote in. Maybe we should start with uh, with those. Yeah. Uh, there's one that's uh, lengthy and then another one. This one's kind of short, the first one, but okay. I'll, I'll just read through it here. Yeah. Uh, this one comes from Jacob P. Jacob P. wrote, I thought I'd share my experience with car hassles after you guys asked for write-ins in the exotic car maintenance episode. Oh, that would have answered our question right there. <laughs> Darn it. I forgot, to, I forgot to look at the person. <laughs> Back in September of 2012, my dad bought a brand new Toyota Tundra off the lot and his 2002 Chevy Silverado went to me. Uh, since I'd have, uh, since I'd be off to college in nine months or so. Oh, that makes sense, right? Give, give the kid the old car, I guess. The mm. 2002 Silverado sounds like a solid vehicle, right? Yeah. Here's the problem. He traded that in almost immediately. Uh, so being the teenager that I was, I turned around and sold it within two months. I then spent that plus $8,000 of my own money on purchasing a 1965 Ford Mustang convertible from my uncle. I also bought it from a family member. All right. All right. Seems like it's got a lot going for it. Should be a trustworthy car, right? Uh, looking back, it probably wasn't the greatest idea for a high schooler, but I don't regret it at all. On the three-hour drive home from my uncle's place, so this is on the drive home. Here we go. <laughs> the engine overheated, and I busted the radiator cap. Not a huge deal. I bought another cap, installed it, and it went on my way. 
three months later, the entire carb had to be remanufactured. So I, uh, I, I tried to just purchase a new one so I could learn to fix the one that's on the car. But apparently the Autolite 1100 carb that it had was darn near impossible to find. So $150 later, I was back on the road. All right. So he's in it for a radiator cap and a, uh, what? And a, and, and, carburetor. A, and a carburetor at this point. Then the radiator went out completely. Uh, I purchased, uh, purchased one with a lifetime warranty from AutoZone, put it in, and just kept driving it. Then that one went out. I took the radiator in, replaced it, and kept driving after testing the water pump to make sure it wasn't screwed up. Yeah. Uh, the saga continues. As that radiator goes, <laughs> oh boy, as that radiator goes out, this time I have to just go uh, buy a new three-core radiator from a specialty shop that exclusively sells Mustang parts, and it's been working ever since. Okay, so he learned his lesson with the cheap radiators, I guess. And uh, so this is the fourth radiator on the car. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, it still keeps going. Um, and close to this ta- close to this tale, one Sunday or Saturday about noon, returning from a car show, my muffler literally just exploded out of the bottom of the car. I don't know how that happens, but no uh, it exploded out the bottom of the car. I got home, and the whole underside of the muffler had split open, and the car sounded like it did when I had it straight piped. Oh, so you had it straight piped at some point. Uh, so overall, this car has, car has been a ton of hassle for me over the years, but I don't regret a second of it. I've learned so much from fixing that car, and even after four radiators, I love <laughs> it to death. So, in other words, lesson learned, I guess. You know, he's he's learning along the way. He's figuring out how to do things. That's he's, a very positive, optimistic spin to put on that. It, it is. You know what? I looked I looked at my, uh, my MG in this way. I learned so much because that car was always broken down. Uh, you were able to, uh, you know, think on your feet, I guess. Think when you're on the road how to limp it home and then make the, the proper repair. And I think we talked about that in, like, the – we have, like, a, a Gonzo repair episode yeah, or something. Yeah, I was going to ask, is that how you learned the pepper trick? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't use the pepper trick on that car. No, I, that was uh, that was something I think I just read somewhere. Okay. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting little on-the-road, you know, roadside tricks that you can do to keep yeah. the car going just enough to get it to a repair shop or home. You know, wherever you need to get to, just just be able to limp at home. Well, thank you for writing in, Jacob. Uh, we really appreciate it and wish you the best of luck in your new career collecting radiators. <laughs> now that's new now hobby. That's, no, I'm is, kidding. He doesn't have to get a. Hopefully, you don't have to get a new one again or for a long time. Well, sure. I mean, and I guess that's kind of the price you pay for for using a a '65 Ford Mustang convertible as your daily driver too. You know, you have to expect something like that That's along the way. Point. It's not, it's not really a daily driver. It was at some point, you know, uh, 50 years ago, but, but not anymore, maybe. Um, good for him to keep it, you know, keeping it on the road, though. I appreciate that and, you know, all the effort that goes into that. Um, I wonder, though, if he looks back and thinks, like, I should have kept that Silverado, you know? Just yeah, been, I wonder too. I wonder if that was kind of, you know, low maintenance at the time or if it was on its way out. You know, maybe that was the reason because maybe he didn't get a whole lot of money for it. I mean, if he spent, Eight thousand plus whatever he got for the trade in on the on the truck uh, for that Mustang. Either the Mustang was really really expensive, or the Silverado wasn't worth a whole lot. You know. Yeah, but to paraphrase the Joker in the Christopher Nolan Batman's, you know, it's not about the money, Scott. It's about sending a message. I mean, when those things, when when you have a well maintained vehicle from that era mm-hmm. and you drive it every day, yeah. I mean, what? More do you want? That that is amazing. That's, I think it's pretty. That's cool. beautiful. I, I think it's pretty know? cool too. I, I wish I had the guts to do something like that. You know, to buy an old Cadillac or something from, you know, fifty, sixty years ago and use that as a daily driver. You totally do. You're I, you're a gutsy guy. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a different situation here though in Atlanta. I mean, with the traffic, it's not yeah. like a, a drive to work isn't really a drive to where you're you're idling to work. 
Uh, you're right. going, you know, short distances, stop, short distance, stop. You know, it's it's that way. It's really hard on a vehicle. Be punishing, uh, yeah. Especially an older car that needs a lot of air to, you know, running through it to mm-hmm. cool it. And um, I think I, I kind of have a gut feeling. <laughs> this is, I know this is ridiculous. It's silly mm-hmm. to say this. I just have a gut feeling that's why my Volkswagen's given me a lot of troubles recently. And we'll maybe touch on some of the problems I've had, but yeah. I, I just, I feel... It's it's a funny sensation, but it's almost like when whenever this stuff happens to me and it's hot, it's always like 95 degrees uh-huh. and I'm barely moving in the car in traffic. I, I feel like the car wasn't manufactured to operate in this type of climate like we have down here. Like it wasn't – I know they do testing. I knew they, they do hot and cold testing for cars. Sure. But I feel like it's a punishing environment you know, down here for the, for the cars. And I know it's it's ridiculous to think that, but it's like they didn't create it to operate in the southeastern United States. Well, high humidity, high temperature, uh, no airflow. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of items on the car that are uh, temperature sensitive. You know, they, they go out when you know the the. Uh, I guess if it's too hot, uh, they shut down. You know, to to protect themselves, to cool off. Um, but that's when that leaves you stranded on the side mm, of the road. I'm going to be a little sketchy here, Scott, but okay. I don't think it's unfair. Do are you sure that Volkswagen of all manufacturers really did? Rigorous testing nowadays. <laughs> you know, I, maybe I guess given uh, given the last year or so history of, of what's been going on there, maybe I, I shouldn't put it past them to have not done that. But. Oh, sidebar too. What's that? Uh, just recently, uh, at, toward the end of August, I'm sure you heard about this. Uh, one of the VW engineers got three years in prison. Ooh, okay, so it's starting to happen. There's going to be probably more. You know, sentences coming out uh, after this, I guess. Well, the, I think there were two engineers who pled guilty. Yeah, let's spend a second on this. Okay. Uh, he was sentenced uh, to more than three years in prison plus a $200,000 fine. And that was a steeper punishment than prosecution asked for. Woo. And then uh, this was the hearing in Detroit. Uh, the There was another engineer who pled guilty. Uh, it looks like those are going to be the main heads to fall. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I don't want to be cynical, but I, I feel like often large corporations or large – any large organization of people, governments included, uh, will have a couple people appointed as, you know, the scapegoats or the fall guys. Yeah. So. You know, someday we should take a, uh, you know, we'll let all this wrap up and then we'll take a forensic look at what happened. You know, we'll go back and piece it all together. Yeah. And uh, and I know we've got some listeners that have written in. I think Rudy Smith is one that has written mm-hmm. in many times with updates on what's going on with his uh, his vehicle. He had it. He had a car that was affected by this uh, a diesel engine, the diesel engine. Um, so he's been kind of keeping us updated on what's happening. And uh, yeah, I'll have to go back and, you know, print out all the emails and, and put it all together in order and see what happened. You know, some of the uh, the early um, attempts at, at making things right with customers, you know, right. like maybe giving out of a, a, a debit card that's good at the dealership for X number of dollars on, you know, Volkswagen parts, that kind of thing. But do you um, think service? Do you think the guy deserved three years three in a years. U.S. prison? Boy, I don't. I, let's not answer that right now because I don't know what exactly happened. I mean, and what will it's, happen, crim, it's a criminal yeah. case, obviously. So sure. you know, I guess uh, white collar crime. You know, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Uh, okay. I shouldn't break the law. Yeah, exactly. And we will – exactly. Exactly. Law's in place for a reason. And we are going to uh, – we are going to do a forensic look at the VW diesel scandal. Um, once all the dominoes have fallen, mm-hmm. it is ongoing. But for now, 
we will examine more hassle cars after a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I've returned. Our next email comes from Matt. And this is the one I mentioned to you off air. Yeah, this one, uh, we may have even talked a little bit about this one in our last episode. I think we did. Just for a moment. But uh, this one, this hassle car is, uh, (laughs) this one starts right from the very day the guy owns it. So here we go. We'll go through this one. And and Scott, I know you've got some notes. This this comes from Matt H. Yes, Matt Matt H. H. Okay. Matt H. says, I just listened to your McLaren F1 running cost podcast. It really gave me a new perspective and a heightened respect for those that choose to own these cars. My hassle car has to be the car I sold most recently, a 2000 Mazda RX-7. I'm no stranger to Japanese cars. I started out with a Honda CRX and owned various Type R models, as well as a Mitsubishi Evo 6 Tomi Makinen edition. Oh, stop right there. That is an incredible car. Yeah. You know, there were only the, 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 uh, the Evo that he's talking about. Now, right. of course, the Mazda RX-7, we'll get to that. That's also a beautiful car. That's the, the, uh, the very rounded one, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, uh, it's a good looking car anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tommy Mackinnon edition, I had to look this up. Uh, it is a vehicle that were, there were only 2,500 of those built. 
Uh, so it was a pretty exclusive car he got his hands on. And supposedly, this thing only has 276 horsepower, which right away made me <laughs> made me think, I don't know if that's a, that's accurate or not, because that's a, that was a fast car. That was 0 to 60 in 4.5 seconds, and it had a supposed uh, or claimed 150-mile-an-hour top speed. But remember, that's a car that goes back to the time when I uh, remember when we had the Midnight Club episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we talked about the 1977 Japanese Automotive Gentlemen's Agreement. Remember where they <laughs> right. they all determined that uh, no car that was produced in Japan was going to have more than a a posted 276 horsepower. Although everybody was building cars with a lot more horsepower, they were just claiming on paper that it was 276, and the top speeds were supposed to be limited to 110 miles an hour. Here's a car that'll do 150. And you better believe that car has way more than 276 horsepower. I th- I'm guessing it had more like ballpark, you know, 330 plus, maybe more right. in, in a small car. So uh, highly underrated horsepower, you know, due to this uh, this gentleman's agreement. Um, but that all ended in 2005 anyways. I know that's a long sidebar on on this thing. But when you he, when he mentioned that vehicle in particular, I just uh, it kind of perked my ears up a little bit. I wanted to know more about it because it was an interesting car. I've seen one on the streets before. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're very, very rare. And as we'll find out, uh, Matt H it knows his stuff. He knows his way around an engine. Yeah. And now, I mean, so now again, he's in a 2000 RX-7. Right. Uh, and so back to Matt's letter. I had always known, says Matt, about the bad reputation those rotary engines had. However, I had put that down to a vocal minority and refused to believe they could be as bad as some claimed they were. So I decided that an RX-7 was for me. I live in the UK where the RX-7 was not sold in very big numbers, so most are imports. I wanted a later car and could not find any for sale that matched what I wanted. The company I work for started out importing cars in the early 2000s but stopped in around 2008 after the financial crisis here. Luckily, we still have the old contacts importing the occasional car for ourselves personally, although this was my first experience in the process. What a great place to work. What a cool hookup. Yeah, that really is. I mean, if you can just uh, kind of use the old contact information and, and get just about any car that's on, you know, the uh, the Asian market, the European market, whatever. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a wide open world, I guess, for used cars. That's fantastic. Yeah, really cool. So Matt says, after two months of searching Japanese auction listings and dealerships, I found the car I wanted, a 2000 Type RS model in innocent blue. The pictures looked great. I had a video of it running. So the deal was done. I bought the car for 1.1 million yen. That was around 7,100 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pause. You got a calculation? I yeah, I do. If, uh, for those of us who are listening uh, who want to know that number in U.S. dollars, 7,100 British pounds as of today would be about $9,283. I think there's uh, one British pound is equal to 1.3 U.S. dollars, if you want to figure it that way. So there's a few we'll give you U.S. dollars for along the way here. Sure. The car had to be moved inland, then took a further five weeks or so to arrive by boat to the U.K. It arrived in early May 2016. After shipping and taxes were paid, it stood me at around 10,500 pounds, the most I'd ever spent on a car. And that's about $13,725. So still a pretty good deal. Still a bargain, but man, it took five weeks to get to him. That's got to be the most frustrating part of the whole deal. Yeah. Well, you would think. The waiting. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out it's even... It gets more frustrating from here, though. If anything, that was a portent. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, Matt, beautiful, beautiful car, by the way. We're yeah. looking at photos. He's mm-hmm. he's uh, he's interspersed photos of this vehicle throughout the email, mm. and really, really sharp. Well, the first is the photo from the seller, and that photo 
is taken uh, at an angle from the front, okay. which will be important later. Sure. Uh, so uh, Matt says, I picked up the car myself from the port and immediately saw it was not as it looked on the photos. Uh-oh. The paint was heavily sun bleached and faded on all top surfaces. And to make matters worse, it had apparently run out of fuel on the boat and the workers unloading the car had snapped off the fuel flap on the side rather than using the lever inside the car to open it properly. Well, who is running this thing? I mean, come on. I mean, you can't reach, take the time to reach inside the car and open the fuel door lever. You have to rip it off of there. That's that's ridiculous. That's insane. Yeah, it is. I mean, and what bad luck too. I mean, the car doesn't have enough fuel to make it on and off, on and then off of the boat. I mean, even off the boat. Yeah, come on. I mean, they should have had a, a couple of gallons in there, you know, just just to get it to where it has to go. I mean, I. Without knowing off the top of my head the relative uh, price of fuel in the UK or, mm-hmm. or on a cargo ship, mm-hmm. I would say it, it, common courtesy would uh, would imply that one should leave enough fuel to get the car from the boat to a petrol station. Exactly. Yeah. Very. It, it just a very small amount. It doesn't have to be full by any means. Uh, but then again, I mean, geez, it's five weeks. In a, with an empty fuel tank, that's not good for a car either. And uh, you can tell in the photos that Matt took uh, all the stuff he's describing about the sun damage. Mm-hmm. You can see it on the on the photos he took, yeah, which were from different angles and from the back. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Matt Saga continues, I loaded the car onto a recovery truck I had borrowed from a friend and took it for its MOT test, which is part of the registration process in the UK. That's Oh, sorry. That stands for Ministry of Transport. Yes. For anyone not familiar, it's an annual general safety and function test that checks everything from the headlights to the exhaust emissions. It passed this with no problem as it was pretty much a standard car with a catalytic converter still in place, etc. So all the emissions were in, in, in order. Yeah, an MOT, uh, this MOT test he's talking about is sort of like the emissions test you would have to take a car to in lots of the U.S., but it tests everything. So, so it's turn signals, lights. It determines if, if it's, uh, it's, you know, road safe, I guess. Yeah, if it's up to code, pretty yeah, much. Sure. Uh, so. Matt says, I sent off the paperwork that day and patiently waited until the following weekend when temptation took the better of me and I took the car out early on a Saturday morning. I filled the car with premium unleaded, all 90 liters of it, and proceeded to warm the car up through my local back roads. The RX-7 is a sequential twin turbo, so it has a smaller turbo that spins at low RPM, then a larger turbo kicks in at higher RPM. Once warmed up, I opened the car up. The small turbo spooled up. I was anticipating the larger turbo kicking in. Then the car cut out. Oh, boy. No bang. No drama. It just cut out. Oh, that's a horrible feeling. After a few minutes of panicking, it had no license plates on it. A very stupid idea in hindsight. I managed to get the car started again, although it was running very rough, like a V6 running on one bank. Luckily, I managed to limp it the five miles or so back home. Oh, that's awful. That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Plus, this is the first time he's really had it, you know, had it out and had the opportunity to kind of you know, stretch his legs a little bit. But yeah. Not even that chance. By the time it got to that second turbo to kick in, it was dead. It was dead already. As it was so sudden and without noise, I assumed it was electrical. Not a bad assumption. Mm -hmm. Maybe a coil had gone down or plug had gummed up due to the old fuel from the lengthy boat ride over. I checked these, replaced the plugs as a matter of course. They tend to wear out quicker than a piston engine. 
than on a piston engine, and there was no difference. I checked the compression. All good on the front rotor. Absolutely zero on the rear rotor. My heart sank. Oh, boy. Okay, so no compression on the rear rotor. Bad news. I mean, really yeah. bad news. That means, uh, that means an engine overhaul. Yeah. And so... The next weekend, Matt says, I pulled the engine out on my drive and delivered it to a local specialist who also raced a couple of them. This was late May, just over three weeks before I was due to get married, and I really wanted the car back oh. for that date. Oh, man. That's, a, that's just bad timing. <laughs> when it rains, it pours. Yeah, he's hoping to have a shiny new car, you know, to show up in. Like a lot of men, I hadn't had much of a say in how our wedding day was going to go, but as a car guy, I insisted that I would arrive in my own car and it would have pride of place. Sure. Yeah, you're going to show off a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah, why not? It's a great-looking car. It's fantastic. I mean, other than the bad motor. <laughs> and a lot, of times people, a lot of times people say in relationships, you have to choose your battles. So Matt is like – Matt is saying, whatever you want, honey. Yeah. I, I love you. This is your day, whatever you want. I just want my own car there. Yeah. Just give me this one thing. It seems so simple, doesn't it? Well, the next uh, the next image that Matt has included is um, – <laughs> Oh boy! Is that a Facebook post or is it from Twitter? I don't know. I don't know where it's coming from, but um, it's a post here of a photo of his uh, his vehicle in his front courtyard area, you know, in the uh, yeah. driveway, uh, with the um, an engine hoist, and he's pulling the engine out of the car, and it looks uh, looks like it's, uh, it's about midway out at this point in the shot, and and the the uh, the text that accompanies this says, eight miles in. And rotary ownership is going absolutely swimmingly. Eight <laughs> miles. So he's owned the car and driven it for eight oh, miles. Man. And and you know what? He said that was a five-minute ride back, right, from the, uh, the the backcountry roads. Right. Most of that was spent in limping mode, you know, trying to get home. Yeah, so oh. that's three miles of, of driving before he po <laughs> before he moves over to that larger oh, road. that's awful. Just awful. <clears throat> oh, and <laughs> yeah. maybe the best photo, the whole thing. Oh, the best photo. <laughs> Okay, the best photo, the well, one that's, that that's next. Yeah, that's the that's the one I wrote to you about. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Matt continues. It wasn't done in time, to say the least. Luckily, I borrowed my boss at the times in SX for the wedding. I couldn't get the RX-7 engine back and on the road until mid to late September. The engine rebuild cost me thirty-five hundred pounds plus the two hundred or so pounds I'd spent already. Okay, we've glossed over something here that's very important. What's that? He borrowed an Acura NSX for the wedding. Yeah. From his boss. His yeah. boss allowed him to use his NSX. Now, that's a nice boss. Your boss is super cool, man. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. But right, I think his old boss, well, boss at the time. Well, there's a photo somewhere in here of the two cars together. Yeah. Uh, they both look whole in this case, and that would be quite a driveway to have if you had this RX-7, you know, in the uh, innocent blue color, and then this bright red Acura NSX looks yeah. beautiful in the, in, the, uh, in the distance there. Really nice car. I mean, again, what a boss to allow you to take that uh, take that to your wedding. Yeah, absolutely. Very so nice. there's a silver lining here. Matt continues says one thousand miles running in cost me around four hundred pounds in petrol plus oil and coolant changes. I have to say at this point, before we get too far into figures, that I would not class myself as particularly rich. My income is just under the national average. It's mainly my job in the motor trade that has let me buy this car. All right. So we talked about a couple of numbers here. Maybe we should go back and and uh, and discuss them because he's 30, saying he's not yeah. particularly rich, right? Thirty five hundred pounds plus two hundred pounds he'd already spent. Okay, so thirty five hundred pounds is about a little 
little over 4,500 U.S. dollars. Okay. Uh, that's for the engine rebuild. And then the additional 200, 200 pounds, I think, was um, you know, just extra stuff. I don't know what it exactly was. It's some stuff he'd already spent on. It might uh, count the gas as well. Oh, could be. So that's uh, that's $261. And then he said $400 in uh, running in costs, I think, is you know, the uh, uh, charge to kind of get the engine back into condition, I guess. you know, And there's um, probably a charge for the uh, MOT test it took. $522, U.S. dollars. So, so um, it's it's adding up slowly here. I mean, the initial purchase was what? Uh, was, I think we said it was around thirteen seven twenty five after all the shipping and then, you know, all the stuff along the way, the engine rebuild, the yeah. the, uh, the fuel, all that stuff for the run-in costs, the, the um, uh, yep. And this all is that stuff. this is where we have uh, – <laughs> The picture that I'm sorry about this picture still made me chuckle. Uh, he he included it to make us laugh. I know yeah. he did. It's a funny photo. It's it's a picture of this poor guy, uh, kind of Slavic squatting in uh, under the hood where the engine block used to be, with this face that looks like it's straight out of the Book of Job. Yeah, he's so angry, so <laughs> it's angry. Not yeah, angry face, but also kind of a little bit of like a. Uh, I know, I know. You know, like yeah. uh, like I'm 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 admitting I've made a mistake here. Right? A little like, resigned, yeah, a little bit, yeah. In for a penny, right? <laughs> Once it was complete, it was off to the body shop, says Matt. Where in total, I had to spend another twenty five hundred pounds in paint and window seals and trims and a fuel flap, of course, uh, since of course. they ripped that off. And we're talking almost thirty three hundred U.S. dollars. The car also had standard wheels sourced with new tires, not fifty thousand dollars. Thankfully, that's a McLaren callback, <laughs> and various other consumables and. And in total, uh, owed me seventeen to eighteen thousand pounds. All right, so we're talking about an all-in cost now of this car, uh, somewhere around you know twenty-two plus to twenty-three and a half thousand U.S. dollars. So Matt says, I decided to cut my losses and sell this car once everything was working perfectly, <laughs> which luckily was worth more than I paid for it. Dodged a bullet on that one, Matt. In the end, I lost just over 1,000 pounds on the car, which isn't bad considering I had owned it for nearly a year. However, I had next to no enjoyment out of the car, and it was a constant worry whenever I drove it. Oh, man. That's a horrible situation, isn't it? When you feel like whenever you're driving it, like something's going to happen again because it's just one of those it's, – it's a hassle car. It's one of those things that something is going to – you're just waiting for the next shoe to fall, I guess. Maybe, yeah. Every time you drive it. I, I know that feeling – uh, all too well with yeah. with a lot of the cars that I've owned. Yeah, yeah. But but we're talking about a car that you know he initially purchased for uh around ninety nine 90, grand. What ninety three hundred dollars yeah. something like that U S. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the shipping and all that stuff and all the extra you know the engine the uh the upkeep the wheels the tires all that stuff ends up being like twenty three thousand five hundred dollars for this car and then he ends up getting out of it with only only losing and I I mean only it's still a lot of money but losing thirteen hundred dollars yeah thirteen hundred US dollars I mean which is still uh still very fortunate yeah it is it is but that's not the experience that he wanted he wanted a car that he could own and drive for probably a long time um and to enjoy and that's the thing is that he never really got to enjoy this car he does have a happy ending <laughs> that's good uh, or not a terrible ending yeah that's pretty good so he ends the letter saying despite many i told you so gags at my expense i know i am in the minority and many more rx7s are enjoyed by their owners however i will be sticking to piston engines from now on i replaced it earlier this year with a 996 carrera which luckily has needed less than 200 pounds and worn out parts so all's well that ends well i suppose not bad. I mean, not bad. It's it's a trial for yeah. sure. And, I mean, he ended up with a Porsche in the yeah. end, uh, a 996, mm -hmm. and 
Um, yeah, I guess it is. It's like, it's like, a, it's like, um, yeah, you're right. Did you say a trial? Yeah. And that, uh, and that's something you have to go through in order to kind of see the, uh, the silver lining, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's probably a saying there. I don't know. You know how I'm bad with sayings? You're there's pretty, no, every, I mean, as a friend, you're every, really bad at Every those. storm cloud has a silver lining. Is that it? Yeah. Every cloud has a silver lining. Oh, I almost got it. No, okay, I, think storm, you, I, I think you did even better well, than pretty, the original. Pretty close. A storm cloud having a silver lining <laughs> is a way bigger deal. Okay. Right? Well, I, I, I nearly nailed that one. Yeah, really man. Good. But uh, so it was, it was a trial in a sense in that he had to go through this this ordeal in order to get to the, the Porsche that he actually enjoys driving now in the end. And, and it requires very little maintenance compared to the RX-7. But again, there's, we're probably going to get uh, notes from RX-7 owners that say, I don't know what the deal is. Mine's run flawlessly ever, ever since I've owned it. Right. What's um, the saying? Don't let one bad apple. Something. Ruin the onion pad. No, um, <laughs> bad <laughs> No, I know. I'm just making. It. I uh, burn the bunch. Burn the yeah. Bush, there you burn, go. Burn the bushel. There you go. Yeah. Uh, apples come in bunches. One banana is a banana. There's a banana saying. All right. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> mean to put you on the spot. You're trying to set me up with some of these. I know. I'm gonna. Have, you know, we should play a game someday where you uh -huh. read the beginning part of of one of those. And I've seen these played before. Heard. Uh huh. I, I would do horribly at it. I know. I bet you would get every one of them. I bet you're good at that. I I I do remember one time, Scott. I, I was saying something, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, you got a, a bird in one hand and then you jumped in and you're like, but you can't make it drink. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, um, oh, what's the, uh, not, um, not McFly in, uh, in Back to the Future. Doc Brown? No, 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 the, uh, the bully. Oh, uh, doesn't he always mess up his, uh, his sayings? He always something uh, with a B? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, Biff. Biff, yeah, Biff always messes up his uh, his sayings in that way. He gets them reversed. Yeah. Well, hopefully and thankfully, that's the only thing you and Biff have in like, common. Let's, let's make like a banana and leave. <laughs> yes, I remember that's that. A, you know, the plot of like back to the Back to the Future doesn't really make sense when you talk about it or yeah. when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, why why is his best friend? Why is this high school kid's best friend this aging, disgraced nuclear physicist? All right. And speaking of Back to the Future, I guess there's something that I need to mention here now. I, I feel remiss if we uh, if we passed it. All right. Um, a listener wrote in on Facebook and told told me something interesting to look up on uh, on O'Reilly Auto Parts website. If you go to that website, you know, I, I don't know if it's O'Reilly.com or whatever it is. It's O'Reilly Auto Parts. And search for part number 121G. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll have a surprise when you get there. <laughs> yes. and It's worth it. Yeah, it is worth it. We do promise it's worth it. And we also want to thank Adam P. who uh, hipped us to this. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Oh, and uh, and thanks to Matt for writing in with his RX-7 uh, tale of woe. Absolutely, man. We hope the Porsche is treating you much, much better. Uh, congratulations on your marriage, too, oh, by yeah. the way. Congrats. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and you're probably wondering – when am I ever going to get time to look up part 121G uh, at O'ReillyAuto.com? Well, it just so happens we're going to take a brief word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. 
Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So hopefully everybody had uh, had a moment to uh, check out the part. Let us know if you buy one. Uh, <laughs> and how would you install it? Yeah, how would you install it? How's it working in your car? You know what I mean? <laughs> Is it doing what it promises to do? Right. Yeah, I wonder. So uh, speaking of sayings, Scott and I are uh, big believers in the whole glass houses and stones thing. Mm-hmm. We're not. Uh, we're not by any means – uh, highfalutin individuals, and it turns out that we have both had hassle cars of our own. Absolutely, yep, yep. We both have uh, some more than others. I mean, I've had I, I had this handy list printed out here from <laughs> a long time ago. I don't know if I, I can't remember what episode we were doing this for. I don't know if it's like reliable economy cars or if it was. Um, I, I don't remember. Maybe it was, is it uh, the VW? It might have. Oh, I know what it was. It what? was the uh, the the. Least expensive running car you ever bought or something like that. Uh-huh. I don't remember the exact title, but it was, yeah. uh, you know, the, the cheapest car you ever bought that actually ran. That was, you know, a driver. Um, and I had a list of all of my cars in order and how much I paid for them. And what it did is allow me to just kind of make notes next to it with like the stuff that I needed in them. You know, just looking back, um, this is going back a long time now. I mean, we're talking almost 30 years of driving and it's only about 10 cars on my list. There's not a lot of cars. I mm-hmm. kept some of them for a long, long time. Um, but, um, some of them had absolutely no problems at all. Some were, I listed as great cars, you know, like I, I would 
you know, sad to see them go. Sure. Uh, that kind of car. But others, man, were problems right from the very beginning. I'm talking like, you know, you know, I'm pretty good with maintenance. I'm, I'm decent on, you know, getting the cars in on time for oil changes or doing it myself. You keep a log. You've I, got a schedule. I, yeah. yeah, I did keep a log. I haven't kept a log recently, but I, I keep it in my head, I guess, now because I've only got one to really deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, one driving car anyways. Um, but some of them, again, they were just like the, the worst stuff happened to them. And it was despite all of my maintenance, all of my upkeep with them. I mean, I, frequent oil changes, you know, filter changes, all that, you know, the fluids were always changed at, at the right intervals. Um, but I'll, I'm surprised when going through this list, how many cars I've had that required an engine to be rebuilt mm-hmm. or a, just an outright new engine installed, you know, a re, uh, again, a used or rebuilt engine or a transmission or something like that. It was just, it just happens on some cars. Yeah. Um, now I can understand in the case of like my first car, it was an old Trans Am, a 78 Trans Am, but I, I required at some point or another in its history, you know, a used engine to be installed, a used transmission, transmission to be installed, a radiator, you know, fuel pumps, uh, you know, th- those are stuff that just kind of wear out mechanically, I guess, after time, after time, I guess, a fuel pump. Um, but lots of tires. That was my own fault. You know, lots of tires. <laughs> I can have, you can imagine why I might, why a teenager with a Trans Am might need lots of tires, um, in the, you know, year and a half that I owned it or whatever. Um, but that wasn't the only one. I mean, I needed a, a rebuild engine put into a CRX that I had and it was because it had high miles. It had, you know, exceptionally high miles at some point. Um, had a rebuild engine put into my MG Arkley, but that was after it had overheated and I eventually, uh, I think I threw a rod in that car on a long trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like somewhere in between Indiana and, and, uh, Michigan at that point. I don't know where it was a long way from home. Um, uh, let's see that. Oh, my Honda Civic, the one that I had most recently, uh, the one, you know, the, the 2005 SI hatchback that I had. Remember, I was on a, again on a long trip coming back and realized yeah. that I had no compression. It was just it was gone. The engine shut off after this long trip, and there had been a little piece of uh, of metal that was you know spinning around inside the, the head of the engine there for a long, long time, and uh, and wearing out the cams. Uh, it was just unbelievable. Like so, you know, you can you can keep up with the maintenance as much as you want, but some cars just cause you trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know. Okay, the last car that I mentioned there, the Honda Civic, that one didn't give me trouble along along the way all the time. Uh, others did, like that Trans Am. I look back and think, I'd love to have it back in some ways. But mm. also I remember that every time I drove it, something was wrong with it. Clogged, there was always something. The clog fuel filter. Mm-hmm. It just it wouldn't start because the points were going bad. You know, the, the timing yeah. was off, you know, et cetera. Um, there were other cars that I had that, um, like the, the Arkley, I think. That's one that I mentioned earlier in this episode. That one had something wrong with it all the time. I expected there to be something wrong with it. It was old when I had it. It was a 66, <laughs> I think. And, but it was fun though. Every time I drove it, I expected to have to fix it on the side of the road and bring it home. And that was the way it just, that's just the way it worked. Um, or didn't work, I guess. But it, but it <laughs> taught me, it taught me so much. It taught me a lot of, a lot about how to, um, you know, make these on the fly repairs, something yeah. you just have to, if you just think for five minutes about the problem that you had, you could typically get it home. Not every time, but but almost every time. Yeah, and I think it was uh, it was Jacob in his letter, the first letter that we read, uh, that said that it you know his Mustang has taught him a lot in the same way, um, and that's the way I feel about the MG. But it's it's an, it's, uh, it's you know something that you can't uh, you can't put a price on that really. Mm-hmm. This I'm glad you said that because one thing that occurs to me there's there's a commonality in your stories here, and that is that you had both older vehicles from a time when they were much more mechanically based, you know, rather than 
a lot of electronics mm-hmm. uh, governing certain processes, which means that those are the kind of cars that even now uh, with with a little bit of luck and some gumption and, and a fairly basic set of tools, you can fix many more problems on a vehicle from the mid-60s than you can on a vehicle from 2000 and three on up or so. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I hate to put a date on it, really, but I mean, if you've got an old carbureted car, chances are you're going to be able to fix almost anything there on you it go. mechanically on the side of the road. It's probably better to rate it by um, components rather than uh, some sort of arbitrary chronology. I, I think so. Yeah, and it seems like you know, even the early days of fuel injection, I guess, and, and I know fuel injection goes way back farther than that, but but to uh, to be fair, most. Uh, even economy cars still had carburetors on them until late in the 1990s, I think. Um, so it's, it's, um, I don't know. It, it's just one of those things you, again, you can't put a price on, on the mm-hmm. lessons that you learn owning a car like that. You know, it, it may be a hassle. It may be a lot of trouble, but later you appreciate, you know, having a, a decent car that, that is reliable. <laughs> yeah. Um, you might miss that hassle a little bit. You might miss some of those, uh, you know, the, the simpler times, I guess, if you sure. want to put it that way. If you if you had cars that you've had to, uh, you know, figure out stuff on the side of the road like that with, I know, yeah. you, I know you have. I mean, yeah. But but I'm driving I, one now. But well, yeah, I didn't want to say it because you, you're a little weird about it. I said we should talk about your Monte Carlo, but uh, if you don't feel comfortable with discussing the, no, the I'll current do it. situation, I'll do it. That's okay. fine. But but do you have any in your past? If you're going way way back. That were just like the worst car you've ever owned. Do you have one of those? Uh, so <laughs> I've had, I've had situations. I got a lot. Of, my family does a, uh, a lot of internal dealing, a lot of hand me down cars. Yeah. We talked about that before. Um, one thing that one branch of my family does that I think is really cool, but wouldn't probably would not fly with kids today is that you would purposely you would get a like a bargain basement price car from an uncle or a cousin or a second cousin or something with the understanding that it was a, a true POS. It was a real pill, as they used to say. And uh, part of having that car that was going to present some known problems was that you would also have to learn to fix a lot of that. Yeah. You know? And it's a good lesson to learn. It's kind of tough love, but well, uh, it is, yeah. But and as long as it's not something too expensive, I mean, you don't want to hand off a car to, uh, let's say, a second cousin or something that you know needs a transmission right away. Right. I mean, it, it would have to be well, something a little bit well, better. Well, like, we would say it depends on the price. <laughs> it depends on the cousin. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the price of the cousin. Yeah, <laughs> and also this was in a much more rural area, yeah. so the town is a little more close knit. It's the kind of place where a lot of people. All know each other. So if there is something that is, um, you know, a real killer and you're stuck on the side of the road and it's something you can't fix, then odds are that one of the people who drives by on that road is going to recognize you yeah. and pull over. Yeah. And know the guy in town that uh, owns the tow truck. Right. Can come out at any time of day and <laughs> yeah. pick you up, right? Yeah, I think yeah. there I think there are three guys in town who have tow trucks. Well, now. see that's you know We're that's, growing. <laughs> see that's great. That's uh that's that's exactly what I'm talking about, is that these are these are the lessons that you have to learn in car ownership, car, you know, mm-hmm. the the whole process, I guess. Right. Um I, I wonder if, if my kid's gonna have the same experience. I don't um, know, man. She's just about driving age right now, yeah. has a permit, um has a car already. 
uh, that was a gift from a grandparent uh, who can no longer drive. Right. Um, it's a caliber, Dodge Caliber. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's a 2010 with less than 10,000 miles on it. I remember uh, you so talking about it's this. it's quite a deal. I mean, it's an amazing gift. It was a, it's a very generous gift. And uh, we'll see how this goes. I mean, there's not a lot you can fix on that car on your own. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's 2010. It's got a lot of the, the modern uh, conveniences. Right. I think that car has a CVT transmission in it. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Well, I said that's that's a duplicate, isn't it? CVT transmission. That's like pin <laughs> number, isn't it? Or ATM machine. Yeah, so a continuously variable transmission <laughs> yeah, is what yeah. it has. Uh, so it's a weird sensation when you're driving it. I drove it back from Michigan recently, but it ran flawlessly. So I'm hoping that that will continue for a few years. It's a solid first car for her, but I wonder if she's ever going to have that uh, that experience of, of, you know, being broken down on the side. Of, I don't wish this on anybody, right. but I wonder if she's going to have that experience ever of being broken down on the side of the road and having to kind of think your way out of that situation other than, you know, pick up the cell phone and make a phone call. Might be a flat tire. Well, yeah, that I'm, that's something that no one can avoid. Well, she's going to learn that for sure. I mean, that's that's a uh, that's a must learn before you go out on the road, I think, in, in my book. Two things. Yeah. Oh, well, wait, three things. Okay. First, uh, I completely agree with you. And I think it's messed up that in a lot of driver's education courses, they teach you how to drive, but they don't teach you how to take care of your car. Yeah. Uh, secondly, um, so it felt different driving. It felt different. Yeah. yeah. It felt, uh, it felt like the pull of almost like an electric car, I guess, but mm-hmm. you've got the gas engine. Third, um, it, there's yeah. no gear searching. It doesn't like, uh, and you know, I was driving through some mountainous territory. Yeah, yeah. It's a little strange. I mean, it's just like one continuous pull up the, up the hill. And you didn't of, feel the shift or anything. It was kind of nice. It wasn't yeah. bad. I mean, it's, it's, a, it takes a little bit getting used to when you're leaving a light. It just feels mm-hmm. a little strange, but yeah, there's no, there's no like hard shift in between gears because there are no gears really right. i mean there's a ratio that i guess they say it's kind of like it's in that gear uh there's a low gear selection you can have there's you know drive it's it's sure, automatic sure. of course yeah. obviously uh but you put it down and drive and then there's a low gear selection or low selection i uh-huh. guess I can't quit saying gear <laughs> um and the low uh selection just keeps you in a uh in a, a range that um doesn't allow you to get up to top speed okay. you know it's, it's a slower slower speed i guess higher revving third yeah did you steal your daughter's car for a road trip? <laughs> no, no, no. I had to go pick it up in Michigan. Oh, okay. So I flew one way up there. Oh, okay, okay. Visited, you know, the family and everything <laughs> and then drove it back. I just had this this picture of you giving your kid uh, a car on her birthday <laughs> and then telling her uh, to toss you the keys. Yeah, I'm taking off. I'm going, I'm going around the country in this thing. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. No, no, I didn't do that. It was a, it was a one-way flight and then, you know, one-way driving back. Well, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great present. I, I wish I could have taken her with me because that would have been a great experience. You know, I didn't hmm. pick, pick up the car from the grandparents and, you know, yeah. she's, she's already been there for a visit in the summer, hmm. had the opportunity. She knew that she was going to be getting this, had the opportunity to thank them properly and, you know, uh, to, to, you know, show the appreciation there, I guess, for the grandparents. So it wasn't just me showing up with a car and, you know, her having to, I don't know. FaceTime with a grandfather or whatever and say thanks. Um, it wasn't like that. Showing, uh, showing up with a hot Dodge. <laughs> Telling her to. Well, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's okay. It's maybe not, it wouldn't be my choice of car to buy for you know myself, but sure. I think it's a good solid first car for her. Yeah. And it's, it's good to learn. So uh, it's a good car to learn on yeah. as well. Uh, so Two two things, and none of them are me busting <laughs> two your Two more things? Yeah, I okay. promise. So you had three things. Grand total had... of five things. Okay, so grand total. Got it. Grand, and that'll be it, I So promise. you're going to call this four or one? <laughs> this I'm is, sorry. I'm this is going to be uh, – you know what? Yeah, you're right. New list. These are two things. <laughs> okay. Two. There's one. Okay, so to answer uh, t- 
to answer your question, uh, currently right now on my Monte Carlo, I've got a, uh, I've got a slower start. It's running. I'm doing some, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading codes, uh, because I want it to code clean so I can get it through an emissions thing. My, uh, transmission and I are, uh, you know, in a continual, uh, continual conversation. Nah, you're at, at, at odds with your transmission. It's run. Saying. Well, I mean, th- that's a known issue in, uh, Monte Carlos of that gen. Ah. And some would say in Chevy's in general hmm. in, in that, in that time period, you know, like 04, uh, 04 to 08 or so. And, uh, with, with the, Monte Carlo I have now, you know, it, it will, it's not the first Monte Carlo I've owned, but it's sticking around, man. It's mm-hmm. just like, I, I'm at the point where I have several issues that I know are, given the age and the high mileage of the car, they're kind of similar to cathode rays in an older television, you know, with, um, for any younger listeners. So, uh, the, the analogy I'm drawing here depends on the age of the television you have when you were growing up. <laughs> so what are now the really old televisions had these huge back ends, right? Yeah. And they were huge because they had a cathode ray in them. And this was the prime mover of the television. You could, back in the days when TV repair shops existed, you could take your family television into the repair shop and let's say like a dial was broken or the the outlet was broken or the screen was cracked they could fix all of that yeah. but the cathode ray if it was the cathode ray tube if it were uh if it were damaged if it was broken or if it was damaged then you might as well get a new television yeah. because yeah. the cost of replacing that would be more than the price of buying a new TV. And now, I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you've never seen a cathode ray television, all you have to do is go to some secondhand store, you know, a pawn shop or something. Yeah. Those are the ones they're selling. The giant, right. the giant heavy ones. If the TV weighs 200 pounds, yeah, yeah. that's a cathode ray television. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, uh, the, the thing is now the transmission on this Monte Carlo is kind of like a cathode ray. Oh, I see. Because okay. it would cost more to replace it than it, the car is worth. I understand. So I'm kind of on a, uh, I'm kind of doing that thing like, uh, I think we've done this comparison before. I'm kind of doing that thing like Elmer Fudd or, um, Daffy Duck does in the cartoons where they walk off a cliff and they're yeah. fine. Yeah. I'm just not looking down. You haven't uh, you haven't read up on the rules of gravity. <laughs> Shh, don't tell me. <laughs> don't tell me now. It's running like a dream, and that leads to the second thing. Yeah, because this or is, is it number five? Just kidding. It's number two. Let's leave that up to history. All right, or the listeners. All right. But the uh, the thing is, um, I have a friend who is about my age, and I've been bugging him to uh, get a license for a long time because he lives in the city. This is one of my close friends. He lives in the city. He's always just sort of like rode a bus or walked to work. You know, he lives very close to all the stuff he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, for a long time, I've been telling him, man, you have to get, he had a license, I think way back in the day. And it's told him you have to have a license. It's better to have one and not need it than need it and not have it. Mm-hmm. And so good advice. Thanks. I'm, I'm full of something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's advice. <laughs> and he, uh, so 
he contacted me and he's getting a, hopefully he's going to be getting a car pretty soon, but he needs to get a license. And before he gets a license, he has to get used to driving uh, again. And I don't think he's driven for five or six years. Oh, so he doesn't want to go take the test uh, kind of cold, I guess, if you will. No, right? yeah. Especially oh. with stuff like, for most people, you know, I, I, I think you can go five years without driving and you can hop into a car and you can pretty much do everything. But then there's like, parallel parking yeah you know some more precision situations have you ever been in a situation where you come back from you know a vacation maybe or just uh you know somewhere where you didn't need a car for a while yeah i know you live in the city so maybe this happens to you often but you know even after two weeks or so um it feels foreign to drive a car after after those two weeks and then well i mean within a minute you get used to it again but it just feels unusual well yeah traits of the car again like your own car exactly when i was um when I was living in Guatemala, I didn't drive at all. Hmm. And when I came back to the U.S., um, my it was really cool. My uh, parents and my girlfriend at the time uh, picked me up, and uh, my dad had my dad had actually gone out of his way to to clean and detail my car. And was this the Monte Carlo? This was the first Monte Carlo. Oh, okay. And so he drove he drove down and. Uh, it's a nice surprise. Parked at the airport. Yeah, it was awesome. And then I couldn't wait to drive. And they were like, all right, hop on the highway. And then, uh, oh, yeah. That's, that'd be a little bit scary. And so I left Hearts, Hartsfield. And yeah, it was, I was, I was driving like a, a grandparent <laughs> in the beginning, you know. Yeah. But after, it, it's sort of like jumping into a cold pool after I got acclimated. Yeah. It only took, honestly, once I merged onto the highway, I was, a fish and water, you You're know, right back to it. Yeah. It's yeah. like a muscle memory, I guess. Yeah. So I told, uh, so not only do I have, not only do I currently have a hassle car, yeah. uh, that has some known issues that will later come to, um, probably come to a head, uh, beginning of next year. So you're going to have to make some decisions. I'm going to have to make some big decisions. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm helping my, uh, helping my pal, relearn how to drive mm-hmm. and when he asked me about it as a favor i said okay yeah of course there are some things you need to know mm-hmm. and uh said all right so starting it you got a little you gotta give it a little a little gas you gotta give it a little love there's an order in which these things happen because yeah. now it's an older car and it has its own idiosyncrasies sure, some quirks right so it's like you can't just turn the key and hope uh, and, <laughs> that's funny. And then I said, and also it's a land yacht, so it's going to be longer probably than a lot of the cars you might end up buying, right? Because yeah. there's a big, there's a trend in a lot of cities towards smaller cars. And then I said also, um, the shifting's a little weird because of the transmission. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, is your car safe to drive? Yeah. Are you okay, Ben? Yeah. yeah I said, to- right? I said, totally, totally. And I spun it. Be proud of me on this one, Scott. I gave the uh, storm cloud a bit of silver lining because I was. I said, <laughs> I said, think of it this way, man. If you can drive this car, you can drive pretty much anything. Yeah, the rest is going to seem simple, right? Right, right. So you know, I, I was going to, I was going to suggest that maybe he rent a car, but he doesn't have a license. You know, if you rented a car, you could rent a smaller vehicle and get around town pretty easy. Right, it'd be a simple thing to do, and you kind of get the feel for it again. But mm-hmm. man, you're right. Like, how is he going to practice parallel parking? How is he going to, you know, do all that? Take him. I'm going to without take, a license. Yeah, I'm going to take him to some uh, 
I'm going to take them to some suburbs where people park on the street Mm -hmm. and it's not too, too busy and have them park that way. And then, of course, do the thing that um, my parents did and you probably did with your kid, which is go to a church or a school parking lot and just say, all right. Rev it up, yep. break it down. Spent a lot of time in a church parking lot. That's yeah. uh, that's what we've been doing uh, for months now. Uh, it seems like that's the kind of the warm up spot before we venture out into the smaller roads that are nearby. You know. Yeah, I but, was. But does a does an adult just jump right back into getting a full license, or do they have to have a permit? Uh, I wonder if he's going to have to. Have you a, jump a, back into having a full license. I okay, think. so there's not yeah. going to be that time when he does have a license, sort of. You just you have to take the full test, and then I. And I think you get the full license. Okay. I think it's just an age restriction on the younger end. So even if you were – check me on this. It might be state by state. But even if you're um, an elderly person who hasn't had a license for a while, I think you just take the standard test and you pass it. There's no probationary period. I see. He has been licensed in the past. Yeah. OK. All right. Got it. Uh, so it looks like we're we're running a little long today. It's killing me that we're not going to get to uh, the lemon laws. Yeah, but that might be its own episode. I think that'd be a good one for its own topic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> side note: my initial instinct was to was to tell my friend, like, "Yeah, I'll just go to your house. We'll switch seats. I'll ride shotgun, and then um, and then sort of manipulate him, and like instead just." take him to ride off the interstate and then just put him on I-75, oh, 85. Ter- you're terrible, Ben. Terrible. Well, yeah, uh, well, but I, you know, it's my car, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you could sell that car to him when the time That's comes. That's terrible. That, that would be terrible. That yeah, is, well. wow. Not even to my second cousin would I do that. <laughs> okay, I understand. But, uh, so but it's a true hassle car. It is a, it's a special needs car. <laughs> Gotcha. It's, gotcha. Uh, you, you have to get to know it first. I understand. So uh, we'll see how that happens uh, or how that goes down. I will keep everyone updated. Uh, we're going to return uh, next week and we'll have some – we're going to hold Lemon Laws for its own show uh, in the future. Please tune in. In the meantime, we hope that you enjoyed a bit of uh, – what do the Germans call it? Schadenfreude? Mm-hmm. In the situations that Scott, uh, Jacob, Matt, and I have found ourselves in, and uh, we hope that if you have had a hassle car in your past, it has become a learning experience rather than an albatross around your neck. Literary references. I, I like that. Yeah. Nice. What was that? Was that Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner? I was, yes. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing it, but you actually knew the, the reference. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, that's strange. We do have to play that game sometime where you say half of the phrase and I have to complete it. Mm-hmm. Or I can do the opposite. I can I can make you complete the phrase, which you'll get you'll get a hundred percent. Right. I, maybe maybe we do the uh, the first way first. Sure. Maybe we try that one. Why not? You can <laughs> quiz me. Why not? What what could go wrong with an <laughs> yeah. idiom quiz? Uh, so we're going to uh, we're going to head out of the studio. We're going to be working on I guess an idiom quiz. Yeah, it's time to hit the old dusty trail. Right. It's time to. Cruise on down the road. Yep. Yep. Those Drive are, off into the sunset. To um, I can't come up with any more. To light out for the territories. Mark sure. Twain. Good one. All right. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much, Scott. And more importantly, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, please feel free to write to us with your learning experience for your hassle cars. You can find uh, you can find Scott and I on Facebook and Twitter, where we are Car Stuff HSW. That's also where you can find the original post about uh, part 121G. 
Again, that's part 121G. Something feels kind of like bingo-y for me to read it out that way. <laughs> O'Reilly Auto Parts, right? O'ReillyAutoParts.com, not a yeah. commercial for them. Again, tell us how you use it. I'd, mm-hmm. love to, I'd love to know how you use this part. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, if you do get it working, uh, send an email to us yesterday. Nice. <laughs> and, and uh, of course, uh, if you have a topic that you feel that your uh, fellow listeners would enjoy hearing or if you would uh, like us to dig into it in further detail, we are all ears. You can email us directly. We are. Carstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.